Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Well, we're in a series right now, and this series is really covering the book of Revelation. And if you look at the book of Revelation, oftentimes people look at that book as a scary book, a book they don't want to go to. They think that the goons and goblins will come out and they'll be scared and it's like stranger things. And the reality is, is that the book is really not intended to scare us. It's actually the, the, the essence of the book of Revelation is to provide hope. For people, the word revelation, it comes from the Greek word apokalyptos. It really means to be able to see the unseen, see the unseen. And so when someone is able to reveal something that you could not see before, that's the essence of what the book of Revelation is about. And so for those that were reading this book, uh, they were facing persecution like you and I probably will never face. The, the, the name of the Caesar at that time, the Roman emperor, was a man named Domitian. And Domitian was a leader in such a way where he did not just want to be followed, he wanted to be worshipped. And so a Roman soldier could walk up to anyone in that community and on demand ask, who is Lord? And you would have to be prompted to say, Caesar is Lord. And Christians were being killed because they would not say Caesar is Lord. In fact, they would say Jesus is Lord. And this would lead to their death and they would be eaten by lions and they'd be pulled apart in their bodies. And so this was providing hope for people that were seeing their friends and family members get killed simply because they were saying Jesus was Lord. And one of the things that... Uh, you can see in this book, if you were to look in Revelation 1.19, it says, Write therefore the things you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. In many ways, that is like an outline for the book of Revelation. It, it says, write the things that you have seen. And in the beginning of the book, John sees a vision of the risen Savior, and he describes this Jesus whose eyes are like fire, whose feet are bronze. He sees the resurrected Lord, and he describes him. He says the things that you've seen, and he says those that are. If you look in the next few chapters, he begins to get into the reality of the church, and he tells these seven different churches who they are behind the scenes. And we'll talk about ways that they are not actually living for the Lord, and some were living for the Lord, but seven different churches he went into. And then he says at the end of 119, he says, and those that are to take place after this. And so it, it serves for us as an outline because the last part of that verse, he says, there are some other things that need to take place. So after the churches are talked about and discussed in the first three chapters of Revelation, there is another portion, and it gets into the culmination of all of history gets into the end of the world in the way that we understand it. And so the beginning of this things that are to come, the, the, where it begins is in chapter 4. And in Revelation chapter 4, you know, sometimes you'll see in a movie, they'll kind of give you a, um, a scene at the very beginning to indicate how it's all going to end. In Revelation chapter 4, he gives us an opening scene to what all of life is going to end up in. 
And the opening scene in Revelation 4 is worship. Revelation chapter 4 is this incredible picture of worship in heaven. And so there's this incredible thing that we have to like wrap our minds around is that he says that all of human history is going to culminate not just in a place called heaven, but in an activity called worship. You see, because we have to understand that the way that we see heaven, oftentimes it's, it's thrown around in our vernacular, right? Whereas heaven is seen as kind of an ecstasy. Where it's like, man, that, that bathtub, it was like heaven. Put some Epsom salt in there. It was banging. So it's synonymous with feeling ecstasy or feeling amazing. It's like, it's like heaven. Or sometimes we use heaven just in the way of talking about the afterlife. Like, you know, um, when someone passes, well, we know they're in heaven. And really, we're not even talking about any kind of prescribed religion, or we're not even talking about a way that they even knew anything. We're just saying that they don't live anymore, and they're in a better place, a.k.a. heaven. But what this says is heaven, the, the word there, heaven, is really not about a, 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 a good old place, of a, like a retirement home. And, and it's not necessarily a place where we rest or, or feel good. And, and, those, and there's some reality to that. But the culmination of heaven, what heaven, if you could define heaven in its reality, is worship. And is the worship of Jesus. And it's crazy because think about this, man. These people could die at any moment. Tomorrow could be their day where a Roman soldier rides up on their horse, comes close to them or one of their family members, looks them in the eye and says, who is Lord? And it could be their day when they decide, they look them in the eye and say, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. So I just want you to understand this, when we open up Revelation 4, we're like, oh cool, angels. For them, this is like, this could be tomorrow. For them, this could be my reality. And so Jesus is revealing to them their future, which was right there. They were on the precipice of death. And, and in many ways, it, it's hard for us to imagine, you know, some of the imagery that we'll see, the, the robust worship that will be. And, and sometimes it's even hard for us to imagine having um, this drive just to sing. Shout out to, this is the only shout out I'll be giving of this nature. <laughs> shout out to the Eagles fans that won there. <laughs> shout out to them. It's often, it's, it's very interesting watching the Super Bowl, right? Because the Super Bowl is this moment where everybody's coming over. And you really don't have to be a football fan to watch the game. You could be into the commercials, or you could be just into the camaraderie, or you could watch the halftime show, but you're just there, and if anything, you're probably a casual fan. But then there are these, they call them fanatics. <laughs> and they have suffered much loss. No, real talk. 
they've, and I know what it's, I'm a Nick fan, praise God. I know pain. I mean, you know what it's like when you're seeing trades and deals and things aren't making sense. And you, every year you had hope and things weren't working out and you're trying to get excited. And then you see things and another year comes up and it's like, you don't even want to hope again. You don't even want to try again. It's like, I don't want to go through the roller coaster of watching games with these people anymore. I know what that's like, Philly. I trust Jesus, okay? So, 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 so here's, here's the deal. When, when Philly won this year, for those that casually follow, they were excited. They ran around. Then they went home and they went to work. Oh, but for those fanatics, they went to the parade. I'm saying they went to the parade. <laughs> And they, they're doing selfies at the parade. And what I'm trying to say is that when you, the word fan is the actual idea of being a fanatic, someone who is radically committed, whether you're winning or losing, I'm committed. And so when they get victory, their level of ecstasy is a little bit different because they know the pain of suffering loss. And I don't know, I don't know what heaven is going to be like for everybody here. But I know that when I see Jesus, I will not only be excited about being in his presence because of who he is, but I'll remember the days when I was committed to him when it didn't seem right. I'll remember my losses. I'll remember when I stayed in love with Jesus when everything else didn't make sense. And I'll feel not only, see, you gotta understand, there are some Christians who are saying Caesar is Lord. There are some Christians who said, I don't want to die. I want to preserve my life. And so I'll say, Caesar is Lord. And because of the nature of idolatry, we, we have things that are rushing in to take away our affection, our attention. You see, your paycheck is asking you, who is Lord? You, your job is, is pressing in, like riding on that horse, walking up to you, looking in your eye and saying, who is Lord? There, there, there are women who are dealing with the, the way that men are looking at bodies and men trying to be confident and tough. And you're trying to be something because you want this affection and this, we have this idolatry in our country because people are, 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 are it's almost like we're being pressed in to be something we're not. And the reality so who's going to capture your affection? And one day you'll be with Jesus and you'll say, it was worth it. It was worth it staying committed in the midst of all that foolishness. It was worth it. And that's what these people are dealing with. They're getting a picture in Revelation of what it means to stand and to stay. Look here, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Revelation 4.1, Jesus is speaking. John sees this vision in 4.1, and he says, After this, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Revelation 4.1, he, he basically says, look, he says, I look up and there was an open door. And then he hears this voice. Now, one of the things that you're going to see here 
is you're going to continually see the word like. Because what John is trying to do is he's trying to get a, um, a, a exact picture of what he's seeing. But he's saying things are like a trumpet. And you'll see that word repeated over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, he hears this voice of Jesus saying, come up here. And now it's like he's being elevated. He's having this transcendent moment where he is now in the presence of the Lord. And it's like this time warp he enters into. Now, I won't go into the theology of this. Some would say that this is the moment of the rapture. Um, I don't think with the grammar here and with the language of the book, I don't think this is actually where a rapture would take place, where we all, all Christians would rise and be with the Lord. But what I do think is after Revelation chapter 4, you don't see the word church anymore till you get to Revelation chapter 19. So there is this moment here where we're not really sure what happens historically, but we do see this picturesque moment of us being in the presence of the Lord. Jump down to verse 2 and 3. He says, immediately, I was in the spirit. And so it's like he's in this spiritual trance. And the Lord has elevated him to be in his presence. And he says, there was a throne in heaven. And someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper, carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Now, for those of us that have creative minds, for those of you that can, that can just have imagery floating in your mind easily, I want you, and, and for those of you that are artists and singers, we don't have enough imagery of moments like this where he's, he's trying to describe a throne, a throne that is in the presence of God. And he's saying that there's someone seated on it, but he really can't get his eyes on him. And he says it has the appearance. So notice he's just trying to describe him. The appearance of jasper, which is like a reddish color, a, like a ruby red color, and carnelian, which is kind of like a brown type color stone. But remember, he says it's the appearance. So there's this brownish red color emanating before him, capturing his eyes. And he says that there's a rainbow around and green emerald just coming from the throne. And he's saying like, I'm looking at this person, and it's like I see all these diamonds. And I'm looking around the throne, and it's like, it's this beautiful green. And what he sees is beauty. When he looks at the Lord, he sees all this beautiful imagery of color and shape and size. And he's trying to describe it the best of his ability. Beauty, oftentimes, is not a word that we might associate with God. But Psalm 19.1 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. 
And one of the beautiful things you could do, now I know we're in the city and we're kind of around a lot of man-made projects, but I will never forget flying into Las Vegas. And I thought Las Vegas was just, I don't know what I thought Las Vegas was. But I flew in and I did not know it was a mountainous region. And I had never been around mountains before. Have you ever been around mountains? <laughs> it took my breath away. I mean, have you ever been on a sunset beach? Or have you ever been around the, the water at night and you hear the rushing of water? Or have you ever been to the top of a building and you could just see the whole world? Or have you ever been in a plane and you see everything there? And have you ever had this word come to your mind of amazing or beautiful or that's awesome? Have you ever had those words just come out of your mouth when talking about the creation? Here's what I want you to know. The heavens declare his glory. The expanse proclaims the work of his hands. So understand, mountains are telling a story about God. The clouds are telling a story about God. All creation is telling a story about God. And that's not just mountains and suns and moons and stars. That's people. You ever see somebody that's fine? I mean, like fine with a W. I mean, you just think they look so good. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you put your hand on your mouth, like, ooh, like that kind of fine. Like, you just can't get your mind around it. They look so good. Just understand, the beauty of people is intended to declare the beauty of God. All beauty is a small window into the beauty of God. All creation is a small window into the creator God. And so why is this important? Because God made things to speak of him, not replace him. To speak of him. The copyright is Jesus. The footnote is Jesus. The end note is Jesus. God's fame, his name, his glory is supposed to be the story we're supposed to be looking at. And so that's why when we look at this, we're like, oh, what's that? Carnelian, Jasper? Oh, okay. Understand, he's saying God is beautiful. He's saying, I can't take my eyes off him. I got a glimpse of the Lord. Whew. My eyes have never seen such beauty. And so it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, maybe years from now, but the most beautiful thing you will ever see is to be face to face with your creator. It will, it will capture your eyes like never before. And so he says, yes, they, they, I'm seeing this beautiful imagery. And then in Revelation 4, 4 through 6, he says, my eyes were on this. And I started looking around. He says, around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Now, if we pause really quick and we understand that this, this imagery of elders, some would say these are angels, some would say these are people. These are most likely people because in Revelation 3 and 2, 
It talks about how we will be crowned, how we'll get the crown of life. And these, these white robes that they're wearing is the righteousness of God. That Christ's righteousness now covers us. And we now wear white with the purity of God and a crown to show that we have lived faithfully unto him. And there seems to be some ranking order of these 24 elders. Some would say that 12 represent the church and 12 represent uh, Israel. But there seems to be some kind of pecking order and rank to these folks. But these are the people that God has said, sit on my right and my left. These are the people that God has designated to be with, around him and around his throne. It goes on to say that, look at this, flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. And it says seven fiery torches were burning before the throne. And it says, which are the seven spirits of God. And many scholars would say these seven spirits are just a picture of completion, the complete picture of God. And he says, again, just... He says something like, remember, he's up there and he's trying to figure out what he's seeing. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was before the throne. And oftentimes it's understood this sea of glass is a picture of purity before God. I'll just pause. I'm just looking to heaven real quick. And there's people there with white robes and golden crowns. There's thunder coming from his throne. And there's beauty. And he's captured by it. He looks up. And he says, four living creatures covered with eyes. In front and back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings, a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. And many would say that this is representative of all of creation. And here they are having wings flying in the air. And they're surrounding all of God. But what I want you to pay attention to is in the first part there, he says, they're covered with eyes front and back. And in the last part, it says they're covered with eyes around and inside. These angels, we would understand them to be. Isaiah 6 would Note them as cherubim. Some would say that there's another rank called seraphim, but it looks like these are cherubim. These are kind of worshiping angels. And they've got eyes on the inside, around them, front, back. This is a unique-looking being, praise God. But they got eyes everywhere. They all look different, an ox, a lion, but they all have eyes everywhere. Now, we have to understand that angels are created beings, so if angels are created beings, 
the one thing he made each of these four angels with is a whole lot of eyes. Eyes everywhere. Eyes taking in. And so they have this picture where they're right hovering over God and they've got all these, this panoramic view of God and they see everything. And so what they see, what they see is extremely important because we're getting a up-close view of God with all these eyes. And this is what they say. Day and night, pause real quick. That shows us that there's a day and night in heaven. Praise God. We can still go out at night. Day and night, for you night owls, day and night, listen, day and night, day and night, Day and night, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Now, there's many things that you could point out, but they've got the behind-the-scenes view of God, they're right there with all these eyes and they see everything about him. And yes, he was and is and is to come. And yes, he's almighty, but there's something he said three times over. Holy, holy, holy. Now you have to understand that in, in, in Hebrew and Hebrew interaction or in Hebrew writing, you will rarely see a word said three times in a row. Some of you have heard Jesus say, truly, truly, I say to you. Some of you remember when Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are so upset with so many things. You have heard Jesus say things twice or a double repetition. But only once in sacred scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Holy. And Notice they don't say love, love, love. They don't say wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. They don't say justice, justice, justice. They say holy, holy, holy. So the up front, behind the scenes view of God, the thing that they are captured by and day and night they don't stop saying is holy. That's what has captured their attention more than anything else about God. The holiness of God oftentimes is not something that we give him enough credit for or understand in its fullness. The word holy essentially means to cut or a cut in the whole old Hebrew language. But it's essentially talking about having a cut above a ranking order that's farther above anything else. And holiness speaks not just to being farther and grander, but it's this idea of purity and moral rightness. And so he's saying that above all else, God is holy. And that attribute of his actually cuts through his other attributes. God is loving and we are loving but he has a holy love. God is just, and we are just, but he has a holy justice. 
God is kind and we are kind, but he has a holy kindness. So his holy character, his holy character is what the angels can't get away from day and night. They can't take their eyes off of his holiness. Because the functionality of holiness means to be set apart, altogether different. And so in the Old Testament, when something was holy, it was set apart or consecrated for the Lord, you'd have a holy tithe. You'd have a holy Sabbath. First Peter calls the church a holy nation, that people ought to be set apart and different for the work of the Lord. And so why are they bugging about his holiness? Why can't they take their eyes off his holiness? Why aren't they saying, Jasper? Why aren't they caught up in his beauty? Why are they talking about his character? What about the character of God has captured their mind and affection so much that day and night they can't get over it? Holy. If you've ever been disappointed in someone, you ever have somebody you meet and you thought they were all that and then you got to know them and it let you down? You ever have somebody that you propped up and then you got a little closer and you found out they're not exactly who you thought they were? There wasn't a fullness to who they were. There was a partial understanding of who they were. There is a reality to this worship. And it tells us that above all the things that we will worship about God when we see him, the thing that we long for the most is to be in the context and in the presence of holiness. Because we want someone, we want to be in the presence of someone who is pure, who is full, who is everything we thought they could be. And we don't understand our hunger for holiness, but we must understand our, our habit of making idols. Our habit of turning things into something they're not because we have to worship. And so we make people and things into something they're really not because our hearts long for things to be amazing. I mean, this is what I do in premarital counseling all the time. They're like, she is amazing. I'm like, no, she's not. <laughs> he, he's different. He's wonderful. And what I'm telling you is your heart is doing that. Your heart is making them into something they're not because what your heart wants is holiness. What your heart wants is full integrity. What you want is a superhero and they're made up. There is one superhero. There has only been one man who did no wrong, who had actual superpowers. In fact, he had servant power where he changed the world. His name is Jesus. That's the only one. Everything else is made up. And that's why we have, one author said, we have an idol factory in our hearts. Wow. 
We turn people and things into something they're not because our hearts long for holiness. And that's why the angels can't get over it. That's why the angels look into it. He's everything you thought he was and more. He's more than what you bargained for. He's holy. And his love is holy. And he's pure. And his yes is yes. And his no is no. And the Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen. You can count on him. And so when we see him on that day, we will be captured by his holiness. And we will sing. Now, it says, it goes on to say, in Revelation 4, 9 through 11, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, this is, this is so wild. If you look at the first part there, it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, I thought they were saying holy, holy, holy day and night. So what just changed? It must be that they, maybe in some way that they, not only sing this song, but they sing another song and they sing another rendition that's giving more glory or more honor or more thanks. But it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks, the throne and the worship of the one who lives forever and ever, they, those elders, seated around the throne, they cast their crowns before the throne and say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. And the scene that we've seen is this majestic being with angels flying around with six wings and eyes and emerald beauty coming up. And these elders get to be amongst it all day and all night. And there's this spontaneous moment that happens that when they give glory and honor and thanks, these elders take the throne or rather take the crown that God gave them and they take it off their heads. And it says they cast it down. And then they begin to say to him, you, you are worthy. And they're actually taking the credit that God gave them and giving it back to him. It says they cast. It's as if they're saying to the Lord, no, it was never me. It was always you. You are worthy. You created me. It was you behind the scenes of my life. It was always you. It was always you. You are worthy. And I love the imagery. They throw a, th a crown at the Lord. <laughs> this week I saw a comedian. Her name is Tiffany Haddish. And she, um, she got, a, she got a, an amazing moment where she always looked up to Oprah. And on the Ellen show, Oprah came behind her. And she sat down with Oprah. 
And Oprah tried to tell her how funny she was. And Tiffany couldn't take it. Because she was like, nah, girl. You. I've been looking up to you this whole time. She says, I've been dreaming about you. And she felt uncomfortable getting credit for someone she adored. And that is what it will be on that day. When we will be with Jesus, you understand the Bible says that the Lord will actually look at our work and say, well done. The Bible says that he's the father who sees in secret. So he sees the private prayer time you have before you go into work and you decide, I am not going to go off. I'm going to be kind and quiet. I'm going to try to love these people. He sees behind the scenes of when you're giving and you're serving and you're being kind and you're trying to be a holy person set apart. He sees behind the scenes and the Bible says he will give you credit for all the things you did for his glory and fame. And then he says there's this ecstatic moment when people are giving glory and honor honor to God, you say, no, 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 not me, not me, and you will throw glory back to God. But what I want you to see is this. Before they said you are worthy, they casted their crown. Before words came out their mouth, they physically demonstrated how much honor they felt that God deserved. And I think I believe that this is a beautiful moment. The, the word worship comes from the old English word meaning worth-ship. And that essentially is saying you're seeing what God is worth and you are giving him what he's worth. And they took the golden crown and they say it's it's yours. God has blessed us as a church with people who serve greatly. I've seen your service. Those who move chairs, those who give financially, those who do community well, those who love on people well. And you know what I have found? The people who serve with the most fervor and the people who have the most radical love for God do things in silence. They do things before they speak and say what they do, before they give an upfront presentation about what they do. There is this behind the scenes. And there are so many things that God right now sees. I was in Mississippi preaching. And this woman, she emailed me after my sermon. She said, Pastor James, I moved down here to Mississippi and I have diabetes and I have this depression. And I felt my husband was telling me to move down here. And I'm only down here because I just feel like God wanted us to. But this has been the hardest moment of my life. But she said, there's something you said that I'm going to trust. And what I told her was how much we miss Chick-fil-A. 
and sweet tea and the two pickles. And we missed that five-bedroom house we had in Atlanta. And we missed those schools I could just drive up to and drop my kids off at. And I missed school buses that come and I could just live in a cul-de-sac. And I missed the rent. And I missed the weather. And I was in Mississippi and they called it a cold day. It was like 60 degrees out. Like, isn't it cold? I looked at them with disgust. And I, but in the middle of the sermon, I told them when I came up here, people were telling me, aren't you going to miss the South? Aren't you going to miss the weather? And you got to be careful because those kids, they're going to be in school with all types of people. And it's not safe. And I told them, the safest place to be is the will of God. So before anyone said, James, thank you. Thank you for moving to the city. Before anyone gave me credit, I trusted that God would give me credit someday. I trusted he would say, well done, because I was doing it for him. But one day, the Lord's going to say, good job, James. You moved to the city and the people were blessed. And I'm going to say, it was you. It was really you. You're my credit. You're my worth. And any credit I receive, I pray I reflect it back onto you. I pray that as we get ready to have a time of worship, I pray that you are casting down all credit, all accolades, I'm not talking about like interrupting people and pointing your finger in the sky and saying you're blessed and stuff like that. I'm saying not letting your success go to your identity. Not thinking that crown is attached to your brain, but knowing at any point, at any point I need to be clear, I'll cast it down. Because you need to know that my success and the success of this church the success of my family didn't come because we have a filled room. I was successful when I left Atlanta. I was successful when this room was empty. I was successful when there were two people in there. I was successful when we couldn't make rent. I was successful then because success is not in what people think about me. Success is in Jesus, period. I was successful. And if anyone, if anyone ever misconstrues my success and thinks my success is something different, right in front of them, I'll cast down my crown because all glory and all honor goes to Jesus. Father, we thank you right now. We thank you right now, God. And we just, we just want to give you all honor and all glory. Truly, you know the behind the scenes of my life, God. Truly, you know all credit should be to you. God, this week, could we just gaze at your beauty? Could we remove the, the beautiful things that we replace you with? And could we just be in awe of you?
Can we reserve awe for you this week? Can we gaze at you and see you for who you are and cast down our crowns? As we sing, let us worship our God. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.